Welcome to another gospel message from St. Luke's Anglican Church, Clovelly. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for the privilege it is to meet as your people, uh, that you saved us not just individually, but to be your people together. And Father, we pray that you would teach us more of what that means for our daily lives. We ask that today in Jesus' name. Amen. So the UK government has just appointed a minister for loneliness. Supposedly 9 million Britons uh, have reported that they are either always or often feel lonely. And so Prime Minister Theresa May has appointed her sports minister with this special commission to be the minister for loneliness. So that the goal is to bring an end to the acceptance of loneliness. Kind of fascinating, isn't it? Um, in the West, we, we now kind of, uh, we've kind of moved to this society where we live in a society of closed doors. And uh, people hang out in their backyards, not their front yards, where you'd bump into people. Um, we have uh, Netflix and groceries that get delivered, and now you can even have your takeaway delivered. No, Uber and all, just think about that. You, like your takeaway gets delivered now. It just comes to you. You don't have to go out and like, interact with anyone. It's so good. <laughs> In the US, uh, Robert Putnam famously called his book, it's a couple of decades ago now, he, he wrote this book about our kind of growing social isolation in Western culture. He called it Bowling Alone. Because a few decades ago, people used to be in, it's like 10 pin bowling, right? That's, um, they used to be in bowling leagues. And you go and hang out with people, and they're your people. But now people go bowling alone. It's like this tragic little marker of where we've got to. Now, I suppose some people would say, look, what's the big deal? Um, the, the kind of freedom, the individual freedoms that we fought for, you know, so I'm free to do what I want, even be lonely. Except it's interesting, you know, loneliness is linked to dementia, to high blood pressure and to early mortality. In other words, loneliness can kill you. Now, in the UK, the research says that one in five GP visits are just because people are lonely and need someone to talk to. And the reason that feels tragically sad, I think, I hope, is because we know that we're made for community, for relationships. We're not meant to be hermits, but humans, and humans are made in God's image for relationships. The God who is Father, Son, and Spirit, we sang that in one of the songs at the start of today. The God who is relationship has made us for relationship and so Genesis 2 says, it's not good for man to be alone. But you know, as you read through the kind of contours of the Bible as it unfolds, the answer to loneliness, it's not actually marriage. It's the church. It's the church. The love that soaks the New Testament isn't romantic love. It's, I mean, it's God's love in Jesus. That's number one. But then the love that Christians have for one another. That's the love that soaks the New Testament. It's in a church community that Jesus envisages envisages that you will belong and you will be loved. The family unit, according to Jesus, that defines you above even your parents or your spouse or your children is belonging to God's family. You belong to God's family if you're a queen. And so often enough you'll say, I'd love to come to that, but that's when my church family gathers. Can I meet you afterwards? Could we move it to Saturday? Because of this new identity, this new loyalty, this new destiny 
that we have as Christian people. J.I. Packer, um, amazing Christian man, counsels us Christians to it's like, wake up and what should you say to yourself every day? This one's on the screen. Say to yourself, I am a child of God. God is my father. Heaven is my home. Every day is one day nearer. My saviour is my brother. Every Christian is my brother and sister too. You know, at the kind of Christian version of the citizenship ceremony, you know, it's Australia Day and there's those ceremonies, right? The Christian version, which is called baptism, you know, it's, it's not just like a you and Jesus little moment. It's a horizontal thing. You're welcomed into the family of God's people. So in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, uh, we have this corporate identity. You are a chosen race. You're a holy nation. You are a people belonging to God, not just individuals. You're a people that belongs to God. I mean, if you are a Christian, church isn't somewhere you go. It is who you are. We are family, with apologies to the 1970s song. We are family. Now, that was a kind of long introduction to what we're going to think about today, which is this. Jesus' vision for us to be a community and to be a family. And I've really just got two points this morning. Um, We need the church to be a family and community more than ever. And the world needs the church to be a community and family more than ever. So first thing, um, and this is on your outline if that's helped you, uh, we Christians, we need the church to be a family more than ever. Because 1 Peter 2 says our identity as Christians, it's not just that we're God's people, but that we are a people in exile. So come to your Bibles now, and uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, that was read for us, 1 Peter chapter 2. Page 1015. And I'm just going to read uh, from verse 11. Uh, The Apostle Peter writes to uh, Christians um, in the mid kind of first century scattered around the ancient world. And he says to them, verse 11, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of, of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Now, the word sojourner, we don't use that very much anymore, but it's the word for traveler or foreigner. Maybe immigrant, refugee, expat, someone who's not a citizen, not even a permanent resident. And so this is saying for Christians, the the home that really tugs your heartstrings is your home in heaven. Your loyalty isn't, I am, you are, we are Australian. No, no, no. Your loyalty is to Jesus and to his people. A Christian isn't someone who has God in their life. A Christian is someone who has Jesus at the centre of their life. And so this is saying Christians, because of our loyalty to Jesus, we find that we are we're an immigrant people living in a foreign land. And like most expats have realized over the years, we need a community. You know, all the Aussies move to London and they somehow find each other, right? And they talk about Vegemite because no one else understands Vegemite. And in my opinion, how disgusting it is. I hate the stuff. I know it's un-Australian, hash un-Australian, I'm sorry. Um, there was a friend from Finland who married an Aussie and, you know, very involved in the kind of local community and yet she still wanted her kids to learn the Finnish language and to know some of those customs, didn't want them to be lost. And so she was part of a Finnish playgroup. 
this expats over the years have longed for that community. And here's Peter saying Christians are exiles whose ultimate home is elsewhere. And so we find ourselves foreigners. We need a community, the church community, to be what it is. And that is a family. See, friends, um, you need to realise there are many cultural values in Australian culture that you are just imbibing every single day that are undermining your Christian identity. And you need other Christian people in your life to remind you that regular prayer is more important than regular exercise, although both is good, right? You need people to remind you that your holiness is more important than your happiness. You need Christian people who are going to remind you that what is unseen is more eternal, significant than what is seen. You need Christian people who are going to remind you that your sexuality is not actually, it's not your core identity. Christian is. We need that community more than ever in Western culture, actually, to stay strong and to care for the struggling. And so just practically, it's worth asking, if you were having doubts, which friends could you, would you feel safe to talk with that about? If you're a family, which single Christians have you kind of adopted in? Who come over for meals regularly? Who, not cause, and not as guests. You know, as guests, you kind of, everything's got to be like clean and vacuumed and, you know, the right settings and, you know, all that. Not as guests, but as family. Which means they might do the washing up, right? It's just it's a different mindset. Are there people who are lonely that you could care for? Because really the church should be full of ministers of, for loneliness. <laughs> All of us caring for each other. Who are the Christian friends that you are looking out for? And who are the people who know you and are looking out for you? Now, belonging to one of our community groups, that's one good opportunity to grow in that sort of community. And yet it's more than signing up to the form, Right? And it's more than turning up on Tuesday night when you're a bit tired and it's kind of, you know, August and wet and dreary and awful. It's actually more than any of that. Scott Peck uh, wrote uh, about the stages of community. And just um, think for a moment, you know those kind of work development days that you're forced to go on and they take you off site to some like ropes course? Or maybe at university you get thrown into one of those group assignments and some of you loved them and some of you hated them, right? Um, those group assignments, and you know, kind of, you're just thrown together with these people and you learn each other's names and maybe you've got a couple of jokes by the end of the day and, you, you know, in a sense you've formed this little community but actually, um, Scott Peck would say, all that is is pseudo-community. Um, it's just a kind of, you know, it, it, you're halfway there but you're not really there. Um, it's only after there's actually some chaos and some conflict <laughs> that you work through rather than kind of bail that you actually experience true community. Or in other words, real community takes time. And it's almost like it has to get uncomfortable before it gets powerful. You've got to get, you've got to, get to the awkward. I mean, it's interesting, um, uh, you know, people say in every um, small group, in every, uh, you might be new and you might be from different churches, we call our small groups community groups, other churches call them Bible study groups, connect groups, whatever. Um, in almost every group, there's an awkward person, right? And maybe kind of your moment is realizing it's you. Maybe that's your kind of little moment of growth. 
when you realise. Real community. <laughs> Real community comes when, when, when you're actually serving one another. That's one of the phrases, serve one another in 1 Peter 4. Um, when you've actually had to forgive one another. When you've got, you know, you've annoyed someone, or they've, you've got to forgive. Um, when you've got a few, you know, in-house jokes, that's kind of when you know sometimes you've got there. Or when you are actually inconveniencing yourself for the sake of those people, you know you're getting there. And friends, you need to know this is the main way that God grows us. Not listening to podcasts on your own, but together. You'll never grow to be all that you're meant to be on your own, and either will I. We are God's people. We are family. And we need to be family more than ever. In fact, the, the, the rest of verse 11 gives us another reason why we need community. Come back to verse 11 of 1 Peter chapter 2. Because he's saying, if, if, if you're serious about trying to live out what Jesus actually says, it's going to be a battle. Verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Okay, Christians, you are caught up in a war. And you don't want to be in the trenches on your own. And the war Christians are caught up in, it's not a culture war, as if you know the world's against us and you know, they're all out to get us. It's not that, friends. The real war is the war within. Did you notice? With the passions of the flesh, that is, with my own desires, with the old Dave, if I can put it like that, that's the war. I mean, according to the Bible, just follow your desires is the worst advice you could ever be given. It is your own desires and your old ways that threaten to tear you away from the new life that Jesus has won for you. And so Jesus' vision uh, for the church is to encourage one another in the battle. And encouraging isn't about cups of tea, it's about encouraging, like giving courage for the fight and the battle together. Jesus' vision is that we restore those who are fallen, Galatians 6 verse 1. Not condemn them and not abandon them. Because that's actually what you'd want other Christians to do for you and what Jesus already did for you. When you'd fallen into sin, Jesus went into battle for you at the cost of his blood to make you part of his family. You see, friends, if Jesus has bled to make us part of his family, then Jesus' vision is for us to be that family for one another. We are family. We're created for community. We need each other as a foreign people. We're not meant to fight the battle alone. And together we can be more than we could ever be on our own as God's people. Got it? There's a second part, though. Jesus' vision for the church doesn't end with the church. Right? As strong as Christian communities are meant to be, caring for each other, locked arms in the battle, do you realize the Testament never imagines that churches would become communes, cloistered off from the world, you know, hiding away. And the New Testament always expects that the church, being the church, would have a powerful and positive effect on the world. Or in other words, the world needs the church to be a family and community more than ever. 
So it comes to that next verse in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 12. Peter's saying, although um, these Christians he's writing to and us by implication, although we are a people in exile on the margins of culture, we're still to have an effect on the culture. 1 Peter 2 verse 12. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honourable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Your honourable life. The word's almost like lifestyle. You know, your, your um, godly, Jesus-centred, God-glorifying lifestyle will one day help others to glorify and honour God. The fact that you're humble at work amidst a culture of self-promotion, the fact that you don't cook the books or cut corners, the fact that you talk to the awkward guy or girl at work, all of that will be noticed and all of it will make a difference. They may still pay you out, but some will be persuaded. That's the hope that 1 Peter 2 gives us. And yet it's not, it's not even, it's not even, it doesn't even stop there. It's not just the life of individual Christians that would have an effect. It is our life together. That's Jesus' plan. So uh, we're going to go to our other passage, and you can follow this one on the screen. John 13, verse 34. Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now there it is again, right? Jesus' vision for the church is to be a family that loves one another. And the standard Jesus sets is, as I have loved you. Right? And the cross is the measure of how much you are to love the people you're sitting next to today. See? But notice verse 35. By this, all people will know you are my disciples. Jesus' great master plan for the church to be a family and to be a community is so that it's compelling to a world that watches on. It's like, if only the church would be the church. If only God's family would be a family. If only those who have been loved by God at the cost of Jesus' blood would love like that. It would change the world. In fact, it did. It did change the world. The author David Bentley Hart wrote about the early church. There's a quote on the screen. He wrote, Christian teaching from the first placed charity at the centre of the spiritual life as no pagan cult ever had and raised the care of widows, orphans, the sick, the imprisoned and the poor to the level of the highest of religious obligations. Thus, in the late 2nd century, Tertullian could justly boast that whereas the money donated to the temples of the old gods was squandered on feasts and drink with their momentary pleasures, the money given to the Christian churches was used to care for the impoverished and the abandoned, to grant even the poorest decent burials, and to provide for the needs of the elderly. In this way, the church, long before Constantine, had created a system of social assistance that no civic or religious office of the pagan state provided. It actually happened in the early church. And there's times you just feel like we just need to revisit some of that translated to the modern world. When the church loves like family, because we are family, it'll change the world. And friends, 
when people experience the loving relationships of Christians, that, it's not that they can make someone become a Christian. Um, someone becomes a Christian when they put their trust in Jesus as their Saviour and their Lord. But it's interesting, you know, the, the, the relationships that people experience in a church community, they can put people off or compel people to investigate. I've been in a few churches now and I, I, I've heard this, you know, from many people. There was something different about the way they treated each other. And I wanted more of that. In fact, I'll always remember one woman saying, um, it, it wasn't until she'd been in a, you know, a community group, she was kind of someone just kind of coming back to church after growing up, wandered away, coming back. It wasn't after she'd been in a community group Bible study with this Christian couple for like a year or two that she finally realised by seeing the marriage of this Christian couple that her marriage wasn't normal, that her abusive marriage actually wasn't the way it was meant to be because she'd seen how it could be in the lives of these Christian people. See, it's not just Christians who need the church to be the family that it's meant to be. The world needs the church to be the family that we're meant to be more than ever. Friends, um, the reason that St Luke's needs to be a loving community, it's not just for us. It is for us, but it's not just for us. It's for our city. The reason that St Luke's is here is to glorify God, that's number one, um, to be a community for each other, that's number two, but we're to be a community for the sake of our city, to show that we are all made for relationships and most of all for relationship with God. And so, you know, friends, practically, one of the goals for your community group this year is that each person would grow and that you'd all grow in your practical love for our wider city. You know, at this church, we believe that we're here in the eastern suburbs not to get the most out of life. We beg of God that we would be here to give life, new life found in Jesus Christ for our whole community. Because so many in our city are lonely, are broken, are experiencing domestic violence, are hopeless are religious and you don't know Jesus, are lost. And it's not that we think that we've got all the answers, it's just that we know Jesus does. And that's the thing. The reason the church needs to be a community and to be the family we're meant to be is to point us all to Jesus. And the only way that we could ever live like this, because this is kind of daunting, this is beyond me and I fail at this, the only way that we can kind of get there and do better is by looking to Jesus. I mean, any of us, even the best of us, need more of Jesus. And so here's the deal, right? In the beginning, we're created for community. At the centre of history, Jesus died to bring you back to God, but also to gather a people. And all of history is heading to an eternity where God's people together, every tribe and language and you know, tongue and all the rest, God's people together will sing God's praises forever. So friends, my dear friends, are you on board?
Are you on board this year to, to grow as the community and family that God would have us be? For God, for each other, and for the whole world. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we admit that we so foolishly and rebelliously think that we can live life on our own without you, that we could isolate ourselves from our Creator and still do life. But, Father, we thank you that you did not leave us on our own, that you sent your only Son to bring us back to you and not only to be part of a family where you are our Father, but to be part of a family where we have sisters and brothers in Christ. And so, Father, we pray this year that you would help all of us to take that one step forward in committing ourselves to growing in community with each other, to being a family, the family that we are, for the sake of each other and for the sake of the whole world. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about St. Luke's Anglican Church, please visit www.clovelly.org.au.